You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. When the recently adopted Nicaraguan boy made his first visit to the United States and someone asked him what he liked most about the U.S., he said, electricity. It's understandable, given that in Nicaragua, if you have power, if you have it, it tends to go out frequently. And it was during one of these power outages that my bare left foot made contact with a three-inch black scorpion. At first, I thought I had stepped on a stray toy, and then I realized I hadn't. And you know, it's actually a very interesting lesson in the circulatory system. <laughs> I remembered uh, some of my high school biology because uh, the numbness and pain traveled up my left side. When it got to my face, jumped hemispheres to my right, and then traveled all the way back down. I was a, oh, the outcome of the story, I lived. <laughs> But I was really amazed that one tiny little scorpion could have such an effect, such an impact for the next 30 hours or so on my body. And my family can tell you that since the day we went to Nicaragua, I have been vigilant in keeping watch for and avoiding spiders, snakes, and scorpions. And it just so happened that during this power outage, um, the darkness impeded my sight and subverted uh, my diligent bug watch. I chose our text from Luke's Gospel about Zacchaeus because it has to do with diligently looking, seeking, and the perceptions that follow. The presenting problem is pretty clear. Zacchaeus can't see. He can't see because of the crowd and because he is short. Now, which of these factors is more poignant is, is hard to really say, but one can imagine that the crowd perhaps is elbowing out Zacchaeus. After all, if someone was shorter, you would know how to work through a crowd, and if the crowd would allow, you could get closer to the front. But tax collectors were not esteemed members of society. A modern-day example is to think of... Uh, loan sharks who prey on inner city poor. And Zacchaeus had distinguished himself as a manager of tax collectors and a person of notable wealth. And we can probably speculate that his wealth came through unethical professional practices. He's not popular, and one gets the impression he doesn't have many friends, at least not in this crowd. So in the absence of friends, wealth alone could be his solace, a cloak to veil his isolation from others, a salve for an impoverished soul. So Zacchaeus can't see, but he wants to see. He wants to see Jesus, and we are not told why. Maybe he wondered uh, how Jesus could command such a great following. He probably heard stories about him, that he was a healer, he was a prophet, an insightful teacher, one even that had authority over nature and life itself. 
Or maybe he noticed that Zacchaeus had a lot of devoted friends. And he had heard that Zacchaeus, or that Jesus had a lot of devoted friends. And he had heard that Jesus had befriended tax collectors and people that were considered sinners. Zacchaeus is motivated to seek out Jesus for whatever reason, so he climbs. And maybe this is something he's done before as a boy, but you need to understand in this context, in that culture at that time, climbing would be considered a disgraceful act for someone of his stature. But the necessity to see Jesus caused Zacchaeus to abandon that social propriety and climb. And from this place on the tree, he gets a new vista. Well, the crowd sees something too. They see Jesus come over to Zacchaeus and call his name and choose a tax collector as his host. And they pass judgment on his choice. This crowd that has set their eyes and followed Jesus were unable to share in the Jesus, in the vision that Jesus had. So much about encountering a new culture or a new person, a person of different faith or ethnic heritage is lifting our eyes to a new vista, seeing a new perspective. And at first I would say it's easiest and perhaps most natural to look away or glance briefly and manage a smile. Because a more substantial encounter with someone we perceive as the other is difficult and unsettling. And quite frequently, it's because of the differences we notice, at least on the surface, or the differences we perceive. Our work in Nicaragua finds us visiting villages of some of Nicaragua's most financially impoverished. Nicaragua is the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, second only to Haiti. The average annual income of a Nicaraguan is $743. And it was in this context of this rural community that I met a woman named Antonia, whose life is so very different from mine. She lives in a modest house, pit toilet, beds, uh, just wood frames without mattresses, open fire stove. Although it's improving, I still speak very little Spanish and she no English. And our initial first meeting, we exchanged smiles, a few words. I commented on the tortillas she was making. That was about it. And little did I know that that initial brief and somewhat awkward encounter would be the seeds to a blossoming friendship. And suddenly the statistic about Nicaragua had a name and a face. And so I'd like the story of Zacchaeus to stir in us this morning as I begin to share with you my reflections on the question that's been posed in this sermon series, and the question particularly in my context. Renee, what have you learned about the kingdom of God being in Nicaragua, and what could the Holy Spirit be saying to the church here in the U.S. from the perspective of our brothers and sisters in the South? In typical Presbyterian pastor style, I want to share with you three ways 
that this would happen. If you're really listening, I'm going to use alliteration as well. Go for the double header. In the hopes that you would find uh, something concrete that would take root in you, that might circulate in you and, and move you into action, unlike the numbing effects of a scorpion sting. Well, first in Nicaragua, God is decidedly real. God is real. As real as the hand that Jesus offers to Zacchaeus in friendship. There, the existence of God is rarely debated, even if you don't attend church. Most Nicaraguans, after telling you about how they're doing, will follow with the phrase, gracias a Dios, thank God. And one might say it's a cultural phrase, and that would be true. But behind it is a deep expression of faith. And this is because Nicaraguans live day to day. For them, God is not a luxury. They seek God because they know they must. And they express gratitude to God continually throughout the day. A recent poll uh, from the Barna Foundation found that in the past six months, uh, most Seattleites, about half of them, have attended church. Probably no surprise to you. And I know when I lived here, I sometimes would wish that the topic of God would not come up in conversation because of the ridicule or judgment that might come back to you when you say something about God, or you say you go to church, or you say you're a believer. Or maybe you've heard the awkward platitude that comes, well, whatever works for you. Or just the quick end to the conversation and the disinterest in speaking to you any longer. It's no wonder that we are hesitant to speak boldly and freely. Perhaps we've let the crowd elbow out speech and language about God. And so hearing the freedom and the frequency of speech about God in Nicaragua has caused me to be more free with my faith and express my gratitude more consistently and continually. And especially as I see Nicaraguans express gratitude in the daily challenges of life, because life is challenging for them each day. And they do so placing those challenges right before a God who they know is big and real. Simply put, they don't dwell in their circumstances. I recall my friend Esther. We were talking after a major storm had ripped through Nicaragua, especially the Managua area where we live, uh, destroying some homes and no power, no water. And she shared that her already piecemeal roof had collapsed, part of it had collapsed, soaking the very bed she was sleeping in that night. And she quickly, after that, gave thanks to God that it wasn't worse and began to talk about how God was her provision and her life. And I was struck by her faith and her resolve. Well, secondly, in Nicaragua, God is not only real but relevant. And I see this especially in the farming communities. Being tied to the land puts one in, in greater touch with one's livelihood. 
And much of rural Nicaragua, as Justin alluded to, um, eats what they can grow. And so they rely deeply on God's provision, praying continually and taking nothing for granted for a body that can work, for the rain, for food, for the table. And it's not that we don't see God's relevance in our culture, because we do, but rather we're so far removed from land, I believe, and have so much or can attain what we need that we don't always acknowledge God's relevance. And so our eyes become uh, fixed upon what our culture tells us is important such as what we have or what we might need next, or how efficiently we do things and how we could do them more efficiently, uh, checking more things off our to-do list, or our uh, accomplishments, or how other people perceive us or perceive our expressions of faith, or how many likes our recent uh, picture post on Facebook got. Much of this is so woven deeply into the fabric of our culture that we're not even conscious of it. And over time, God's relevancy can dim just in the day-to-day lives until something catches our attention again. And when God's relevancy dims, we miss that faith-filled, God-dependent daily life that is so rich as the trivial can crowd in on this broad, expansive vista that God wants us to see in God's kingdom. Justin mentioned that Nicaragua, uh, thank goodness, has just ended a drought. But over the past two years, I've watched uh, farmers praying uh, for solutions and being so thankful that they can receive some training, and, and a very simple solution allows them to have food sources for their family that they didn't have before. And it's such a concrete example of reliance on the Good Shepherd. And I think of where Jesus talks about not worrying and how the lilies of the field and the birds of the air are clothed and fed. Well, third, and finally, from Nicaraguans, I am reminded that God is relational and calls us to deep friendship and into solidarity with others. And I see our relative weakness in the area, in this area, and I include myself in this, um, when churches from the U.S. send teams to spend time with Nicaraguas, Nicaraguans. It is so natural for us to look immediately at what they don't have. And it makes us uncomfortable because we see they lack the things we take for granted. Running water, no beds, dirt floors, no stoves. And our instinct is to relate to a Nicaraguan through provision. Task. Doing something about it. That's our strength. Because we have things to give. We're privileged. We're educated. We're skilled. We're financially better off. We're faith-filled. We want to share the gospel. We, we can help when we want to. But Nicaragua has a different mindset. There, people come first. Uh, definitely before task and sometimes supplanting task. And that's a struggle for us. We struggle with this. Our stuff, our tasks, 
our agendas. Sometimes that gets in, a, in the way of a relationship, of meeting face-to-face with another person and seeing them and expecting the kingdom of God to be revealed in them. We attempt to usher in better lives through latrines and clean water and um, whatever we can come up with. And those are all our solutions, and they're not bad, per se. I want to be clear about that. They are good, good things, but they're only good when they come from a place of relationship and mutually discerned goals together. That's when they become good. But our tendency, because we grew up on the Cinderella story and shows we loved, like extreme home makeover, things happen like that. Hey, all you need is a house or a dress and a carriage to get to the ball. But it's quite different. We love transformation. And maybe we're looking for the wrong type. The type of transformation that God is about is relational. Right alongside creating justice and a peaceable realm. The two have to go hand in hand because it's better that way. Zacchaeus needed a relationship to transform his life, didn't he? And he met Jesus. Jesus who extends a hand of friendship and changes Zacchaeus' whole way of being in the world. Because Jesus Jesus sees Zacchaeus. He sees him. And that's very powerful to be seen. It's at the heart of intimacy. And Jesus looks up and he sees Zacchaeus and he utters his name. Not in a disdainful way like probably so often he had heard. But with friendship. Zacchaeus, hurry, come down because I must stay at your house today. And with Jesus' act of coming under the hospitality of Zacchaeus, of forging a relationship with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus has an opportunity to be known and to be seen and to start to understand the good news of the kingdom. Hospitality is what brings Zacchaeus joy and allows him to share his life. And we don't know um, what happened in this exchange, this exchange where you might say Jesus was interacting with the other. But we see the results, astounding results. Zacchaeus, who once hoarded his wealth, now lets go and uses it to restore wrong. Zacchaeus, who's poor in spirit, gives to the economically poor. And Zacchaeus, who was lost, was sought and saved. And this one act ripples in its effect because it has not only personal implications for Zacchaeus, but it's social, it's economic, um, it's domestic. It helps his whole household. The transformation ripples out. The heart of what Justin and I do, as we mentioned, is to bridge these relationships between uh, our friends in the U.S. and our friends in Nicaragua. And on visits, we often uh, involve a homestay where uh, people, churches like University Ministries, come into a community and spend time in that community and have 
a homestay. As a matter of fact, when you men came down on spring break, they went to the village of Santa Josefina, which is a people who have identified themselves as the unseen, the forgotten, because they're in a route that nobody stops, everybody passes. And so it was very powerful for us to come, and, and I was so impressed with our students and the way they engaged with that community. I will tell you, though, homestays um, make people really nervous. And so we sensed this happening after three days of spending time in the village, uh, working together, worshiping, playing with kids. It culminated in a homestay. And guess whose home I was assigned to? Antonia, the woman I first met when I came to the village. And I was there with her friend, uh, with her husband, Horacio, and their two children, Angel and Kevin. Now, when I say that homestays make people the most nervous, I'm including myself in that. But I find that the relationships I am most anxious in engaging in because of obvious differences are the ones that when I take the time to look more closely, I learn the most from and are the most life transformative. Now, keep in mind that in our family, I am the weakest Spanish speaker by far. I rely heavily on acting and miming skills, which can get you pretty far. And during, in our, during our homestay, we were in a position where we had nothing to give, just ourselves. We were given their beds to sleep in. Antonia was up at O'Dark 30 to make breakfast for us. She graciously allowed uh, myself and our kids to jump in on tortilla made- making, which is harder than it looks. We kind of made square, jagged tortillas. She taught me how to make a gallo pinto, which is a staple of Nicaragua. Our kids played with Kevin and Angel and giggled and do all the things that kids do together. And in this exchange, even with the language barrier, the Holy Spirit did something bigger and beyond words. By the time the stay was over, Antonia and I were uh, hugging. She took both of my hands in hers, stroking them continually with tears in her eyes. We saw each other. We were sisters, made so because of Jesus Christ, joint heirs in the kingdom of God. Antonia, as far as I could tell, was not expecting me to give her anything materially, nor was she in want of anything. We probably want the same things, better lives for our children, um, a more just and sane world. Antonia was content. And I think often of her and her closeness to Jesus and her embrace of our family and what she showed me The things that I don't see because of the trappings of my cultural context and my tendency to befriend people who are similar to me. My independence, my need to be in control, to be competent, to have something to give in order to be significant. And in our visit, none of that mattered. Nothing I had my possessions, my competencies, my talents, 
That didn't matter. Just the willingness to be a guest, to receive, to learn, to host a relationship, and to see Antonia as a sister in Christ, not someone that I had come to help, and to discover that we were more alike than different as we gazed and saw one another's God-filled souls. It has been said that God hides God's best treasure in the poor. So it follows that one of life's biggest ironies is that when we deprive ourselves of a relationship with the poor or someone different from us, we impoverish our very lives. We all can identify various types of poverty, can't we? Economic, physical, mental, social. And we all, when we look closely, we know those areas of personal poverty we have. Doubt, anger, fear. And it's often when we are exposed to those who are economically impoverished or some other type of profound poverty that our own inward poverty is revealed. And that's what makes us uncomfortable. It's not coming face-to-face with that person. It's coming face-to-face with ourselves. When we come face-to-face with the ways we are poor in spirit is when God can do something with us. God can begin to make those transformations. And God can help us connect more deeply with the other. And I believe it's when Zacchaeus recognized his inward poverty that Jesus was able to do something in his life. So our inner poverties can be revealed and healed when we engage in relationship with someone that we perceive as different from us. It's remarkable what can happen. So if you would allow me to give you an invitation, a concrete invitation, and one that is probably all the more poignant in light of the events in our country in this past week. And it's not easy. But I invite you to seek out and embrace someone Befriend someone that is different from you, maybe of a different socioeconomic background or cultural or religious background. Come alongside them. Observe. Listen. Come under them and their knowledge and their experiences and their hopes and their dreams and watch what God does with that. Come humbly As a learner, trod lightly and treat that new relationship as a sacred gift, because it is. Gracious God, thank you that your love extends to us and embraces us in friendship that you are the healer of our inner poverties and ailments, that you are concrete, real, and so very relevant for our lives. And we pray that because of your love for us, that we might in turn befriend someone else in relationship 
Lord, be our teacher. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.